Hi everyone and welcome to Revelation Hour in Focus. Revelation Hour in Focus is a new series podcast from our Revelation Hour network. During this series, we will be joined by many guests from all over the world to discuss about Aintan. In this first series, we are joined by Martin Whittock, a Christian writer and columnist based in the UK. Martin is particularly interesting in a way that Christian faith impacts on history, culture and politics. And today, we are going to discuss about his new book that was released in 2021 called The End Time Again. And this book explores indeed the dramatic history of Christian end times belief over 2000 years and how this Christian belief impacting our life our culture and our politics today so martin welcome this evening how are you doing you okay i'm very well thank you that was a very long introduction about your book here but i think i just wanted to set the scene here um tell us a little bit about yourself in that sense for our listeners we we don't we don't really know you well i was a secondary school teacher in comprehensive schools for 35 years um, and also a writer writing school textbooks and also writing, since I retired early, uh, books for the general reader. I'm also a licensed lay minister in the Church of England and I attend a church in the West Country that will be described as an, an evangelical, uh, evangelical, Bible-loving uh, Anglican church. And I have been very interested in, in end times ideas as I have been interested, generally speaking, in the impact of Christianity on history and ideas and ideology. And so that gave rise to the book. And maybe in a moment, I might tell you a little bit about how the book came about. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. I mean, this book is available, I would, I would say, everywhere, like on Amazon and most platforms. Am I correct? Yes, yes. It should be available uh, on online on all booksellers online. I mean, for example, I've checked it. It's on Amazon, for example, other un online booksellers. And in theory, uh, bricks and mortar bookshops should be able to order it as well. But certainly I know it's there online. I've checked it. It's definitely on Amazon and on other platforms as well. Well, I read some of the review on this book, and it's quite an amazing book as well. You know, some of the reviews say that this is quite a fast-paced, engaging, and thought-provoking exploration of the core Christian belief and its impact. And he's also said he raised a lot of important questions about the way end-time belief have been used over time. And, and I guess when we're going to go through some of the aspects of the book here, you'll be able to tell us a little bit more about it. I mean, I know for a fact that right now, as, as we are today, Many people believe that we are in end time. Is this something that your book explores in that sense? Yes, it does. I mean, basically, I was a teenager in the 1970s. And so I read books then like Late Great Planet Earth, which some other people of, of my age would have read. And, and it's still around. And I, with my friends who were in the, the Pentecostal Church and the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, a whole bunch of us across a whole range of churches were very interested in end times belief. And we looked at the news with great interest, identifying events in the Middle East and, and, and so on, as, as people still do. And I got very interested in that. When I went to university, I studied politics and there I specialised in 17th century radicals of the British civil wars. Mm. And I realised that many of the things they were writing about and talking about were very similar to things that I was hearing and discussing with my friends all these centuries later. 
And that's when I began to realise that obviously over time, Christians had discussed end times, obviously believed in the end times, but also often speculated that they were living in the end times. And of course, up until now, uh, Christians haven't been correct about that because the second coming has, hasn't come. And so I became very interested in this history of what you might call a history of eschatology or applied eschatology. But mm -hmm. basically, it's about the history about how Christians have believed in the end times and have tried to apply it to their lifestyle and try to apply it to the world in which they live over 2000 years. And whilst I believe in the end times, I, I look forward to the second coming of Christ. So I, I believe in the end times. I'm also very concerned that what I see is sometimes the, the speculation and the identification of dates and times and places. And I think we have to be very cautious. So my book is basically looking at 2000 years of end times beliefs and also raising the question that we have to be very, very careful, which is why it's titled The End Times Again, question mark, because we need to learn from mistakes that the church has made in the past. And as we'll hear over the next few episodes of the podcast, there have been a lot of suggestions and a lot of mistakes. That's a very, very interesting. And, and I think in this first podcast, uh, as, as we begin to look in, a little bit into, into the, to the book here, uh, we're going to touch into the from the ascension of Jesus all the way to the start of the crusade. And I'm sure that some of our listeners who are actually into historia as well can actually really relate to this. So let, let's begin to look into this first section um, of our podcast here. Now, you mentioned about the concern uh, with people that how they actually apply dates and, and, and season in terms of end time and second coming and so on. As a matter of fact, quite interestingly, I had quite many conversations in, in the past with, with people trying to put days and time for for jesus return when the bible specifically in 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 matthews and and, and also matthew 24 matthew 25 and other 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 party jesus himself said that no one know the hours you know in time of jesus returning doesn't so when we're looking into the the section and the first section of your book from the ascension of jesus to the start uh, to the crescent you know what is a new testament belief in the second coming well, in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13, Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and also taught regarding a future end of the age. But as you've quite rightly said, he warned the people who were listening in Matthew 24, 36, but at that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And we find a similar warning in Acts, a cautionary note to the account of the ascension, when Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. When the disciples think that maybe now is the time that the kingdom will be restored to Israel. So we can conclude that the teaching of Jesus in a, in a lot of places contains an intense and dramatic focus on future end times culmination of the present age. But it's one that's tempered by warnings against timetabling it and an emphasis on the transforming breaking in of the spirit in the kingdom now which is what you might call realized eschatology to be set alongside future eschatology eschatology basically means end things so the fact remains that the New Testament teaches that Jesus will return in glory to complete the salvation of his people and judge the earth, followed by a reordering of creation. And there are many such passages. Book of Revelation, for example, combines Jewish and Christian imagery in an apocalyptic series of visions. And in Revelation, this includes the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennium, mm -hmm. the devil's imprisonment, eventual release, final judgment. After this, a new heaven and a new earth are revealed, along with a new Jerusalem. 
Uh, although the millennium, interestingly enough, is hugely important in Christian thought, this thousand-year reign of Christ is only specifically referred to in one passage in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 20, where it's referred to six times. Mm. At the same time, as Christians began to explore after Jesus' ascension, as the scriptures come together, the kind of age they were living in, Later Christians also began to explore the concept of Antichrist as well. And so we'll mm. come across that again and again in the history of end times thinking. And it has to be said that the actual term Antichrist, which usually is uncapitalized in English translations, is found mm. in the New Testament five times in 1 mm. John and 2 John, once in plural form uh, mm. and four times in the singular. And later belief in an individual Antichrist also focuses on the letter known as 2 Thessalonians, where the term Antichrist isn't used, but the terms there are things like the lawless one, the one destined for destruction, and again, the lawless one. And that figure of Antichrist is often combined in Christian thinking with the fourth beast of Daniel 7, which is understandable, given that he is described as one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. So as that's mm. described in 2 Thessalonians, it's not surprising that people look at the fourth beast and the little horn in Daniel 7 and think mm -hmm. of them as being the same thing. This composite figure of a singular antichrist is then often combined with figures found in the New Testament book of Revelation, one of the beasts, for example, of Revelation 13, and the enigmatic mark of the beast is given as 666, the, the infamous 666 in Revelation 13 and 18. It's quite, it's quite interesting about that because I think we, we're probably going to touch on this a bit later on about this kind of number as well. I mean, mm. everybody, yeah. everybody's been trying to, to, to know when he said that the, the, the mark of a man, the 666, and everybody's been to identify what the 666 represent and it's been yes. used in, in so so many ways but going Indeed. back before touching this going back to the new testament believe in the second coming mm. um what does people try to put time in jesus coming even though as you mentioned it clearly in the, some of the scriptures that we looked into it jesus basically told us that nobody knows the day or the hour I know, given the fact that there are these really specific statements that we do not know the day or the hour, for example, why do, why do we keep doing it? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think partly it's because, understandably, Christians look to, look forward to the return of Jesus. They want to mm. see the return of Jesus. And that's very understandable. But the danger is that believers then go beyond that because they're so looking for it they then begin to look at it very closely in their own age and they pick up signs that may or may not be right and they then begin to make assertions about this time that time and so on and I think one of the problems over 2,000 years with the church with Christians uh, has been that this desire to see the return of Jesus which is completely understandable is combined with an attempt to kind of what you might call decode the complicated imagery of the New Testament to try to use numerology to work it out and at that point we enter in a very very different kind of way of life and a different mm. and a different occupation and that's when the problems occur again and again and again and that does happen a lot particularly with numbers for example but not just numbers mm. it certainly is a, is a problem the desire to see him return yes but then the attempt to speculate over days and times is where the problem occurs 
It was it was a time where um years ago, I think about ten years ago, there there, there was a, a big emphasis on on a couple of books called the Bible Code. When people would yep. look at all the numbers yep. and trying to figure out the season and the times or specific yes. prophetic events as well. What's what's your take on it? I think it's a mistake. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's sincerely done. I'm absolutely sure about that. It is sincerely done by people who long for the return of Christ, but I think it ignores that scriptural prohibition. And the history of the last 2,000 years is littered with these examples which were wrong. And I think we just have to be much more careful. We have to learn from the past and be much more cautious in terms of speculating on on days and times and years. We just simply Mm. can't do it. Be ready, but you don't know when it's going to be. That's right. Fantastic. So looking again in this last section of the New Testament, Believe in the Second Coming, you, you spoke you know, obviously about, about the season and time, you spoke about a different, um, uh, the name, the term Antichrist, which has been mentioned, obviously, as a, as a fourth beast in, in the book of Daniel and, and different word are using. I mean, some the the, the lowest one and there's also the son of perdition. That, I mean, he's yes. got so many names. He's got so many names associated to it. What, 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 what's the your book? What, what does your book explore when you, we're looking into this New Testament, believe in the second coming, the, the, the other part of the section of the book? Because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, this is this is an incredible vast of knowledge here that we can actually really draw from this book, not only because of what we know about end times of what the Bible said, but about you be able to basically show us how the, the belief has been going on for centuries, but also how it's changed over the years and over centuries as well. So what I wanted to find out is this, this, the other aspect, obviously we talked about the Antichrist. Is there any other thing that you want to mention in relation to the New Testament belief in a second coming? I think one of the things that comes out is prophecy is complicated. Uh, I mean, for example, very briefly, with the figure of Antichrist, most people now talk about one single figure and they they bring together, they combine together, they conflate all these different images of enemies of Christ. Now, that may be an assumption too far. It may well be that all of these statements that we often use to create what you might call a composite picture of Antichrist is in fact talking about one end time figure but it may well be that these prophecies are talking about different rebellions against god uh things that are happening in the first century uh, people who generally oppose christ uh, rather than somebody who is a personification of this and i think we just have to remind ourselves that, that prophecy can be very very complicated but we tend to simplify and sometimes in our simplification we may well be going too far and that certainly could be a case with antichrist for example uh the uh the number 666 666 also means or can be read as meaning the uh, numerical value of the name Neron Caesar, uh, the persecutor of the church in the first century. And I think it's, it's a reminder that these prophecies can speak to then and now and future, whereas we often regard them as being solely end-time orientated, and we can sometimes lose something of their richness by, by not recognising that prophecy can speak to the then, the now, and the future. And also we tend to simplify things. The... The, the language of Revelation, for example, is, is a classic one. I mean, we, we can't talk about that in detail tonight. because it's, it's far too complicated. But but Revelation is, is dramatic and amazing. But it's full of very, very detailed, complicated language. It draws on the Old Testament. And some of this is powerful, symbolic language. And I think there's a danger sometimes to read really read this as, as totally literal. You know, that is obviously, you know, an attack helicopter. I've read it said, you know, that is clearly talking about um, credit cards. 
I've heard it said. And these things may well be correct, but we need to remember that these are also very powerful apocalyptic language mm. sources, sources of understanding. And they don't always mean the very, I think, they don't always mean the very simple and sometimes very concrete things that we assume they do. That's my mm. suggestion. And, and I'm a Bible-believing Christian, but I think mm. we have to understand that sometimes we are looking at powerful poetic language and apocalyptic language. It's not necessarily astronomy and it's not necessarily you know polit political analysis and it's not necessarily actual weaponry that's being described and i think that's that's something that obviously i'll have debates about with other christians not mm. everybody will agree with that but as bible believing christians we do have to recognize that there are complexities here that very often we simplify and we've done it for two thousand years and so far those simplifications have been incorrect so we have to be cautious that's a very interesting one. And lastly, on the 666, which is the number of, of a man, do, do you know what he represents exactly? Because obviously you mentioned about in those days that 666 may be a representative of Nero or Caesar yep. as well. But right yes. now, what would you think it would represent, that, that number? Because many people have been associating that number to so many men or so many things, yes. as you say, some credit card and so on. But what is your take on it? For My instance, take on it? Yeah, yeah. My take on it, and this is very complicated. Ask me tomorrow, I might have a different idea because, like, like everybody, you know, I'm praying it through. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it through. You know, uh, you know, I change my mind too. Uh, I think primarily it speaks to the personification of opposition to Jesus, and that therefore it can be read and applied to systems. It can be read and replied and applied to particular so applied to systems. It can also be applied to particular people. And it may well, in the fullness of time, apply to a particular person who personifies opposition to Jesus in a singular way more than has ever been done before. But I think it's complicated and I think it can mean a lot of things. And in the here and now, at the very least, it means opposition to God's way of doing things and we find that all around us you know we don't have to guess it's this politician or that politician we can see it in systems and we can be challenged as to are we compromised by those systems those those worldly ways of doing things right here and now even if we haven't got a clue who the specific antichrist is is going to be that's a very very interesting another thing that you book touch on is on the, the church and the Jews, these kind of yes. things that I've been hearing quite a lot, and and myself, I have a lot of discussion about many people believe that your church has basically replaced the Jews. But what is your take on it? Does actually the church replace the Jews? Yeah, what's the relationship between the church and the Jews? It's a very, very complicated area, uh, and today across large parts of the evangelical community many people's views are described what we call dispensationalism which putting it very very simply means that there will come a time when the the period of the church age before the end times will end and then there will be if you like a, a restarting um, of of the age of the Jews uh, perhaps in, in combination with Christians there, there are various different interpretations of this before Christ's return but but that was not the case that, that dispensationalism is, is very 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 common now but but it was not the case for over a millennium and a half of christian history because the idea that developed rapidly with, with some exceptions uh, but the, the the outlook that developed rapidly over the first four centuries of the christian era is described as supersession supersessionism and replacement theology and that 
carried, continued right through until almost modern times. And that believed, and many thousands, millions indeed of Christians believed it, that the New Testament covenant based on faith in Jesus completely replaced, replaced or superseded the old covenant between God and the Jews. And according to this understanding, the Christian church replaced the Jews entirely as the people of God and inherited what was promised to them. We can find this in the writings of people like Clement of Rome, who died around the year 99. Uh, we can find it written in the writings of a man called Justin Martyr. Uh, he died in 235 in his treatise against the Jews, in the ideas of Tertullian, died in about 240 in his An Answer to the Jews, and expressed by Augustine of Hippo in The City of God. And, and this understanding largely dominated the outlook of the church from the second basically virtually to the 19th century and according mm. to that viewpoint Israel and Jerusalem become synonymous with the church and mm. that then meant it was became increasingly common to read as we'll come on to in just a moment prophetic writings as not being literal statements but being symbolic writings that actually should now be understood in a spiritual sense applying to Christians. So that was a very, very dominant way of thinking, which mm. probably dominated most Christians' thinking for one and a half millennia. But but that's not the case now. But it's only recently it's been really challenged, in the last perhaps 200 years. Mm. It's quite interesting because you're talking about this. And, and I mean, we can understand why a Christianity or a Christian would think that they replaced the Jews because after what happened. But then 1948 came, you know, when yes. Israel became a state as well. So has the view changed from that moment Israel became a nation again? I think, I think the foundation of Israel, state of Israel in 1948, in terms of end time studies, was very much a game changer. Because up until that point, there had been a tendency across large areas of the church to view references to Israel solely as being spiritual and applying to the church, not applying to Jews or Israel. But of course, now there is an, a, a state, a Jewish state uh, in the Middle East, and that caused many more people to then revisit the end times prophecies and to see them as being literal and therefore when they're talking about things like a battle like Armageddon uh, when they're talking about sieges of Jerusalem that the increasingly to see those things as not being metaphorical and not being spiritual but actually being specific and I think that the 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 establishment of the state of Israel in 1948 for many people started the what you might call the end time clock running now how long that clock will run is still a matter for debate I remember in the 1970s having people tell me that it would be a generation after 1948 mm. which was 1988 and, uh, and as a kid in the 1970s I can tell you that concentrated <laughs> your mind um, and clearly that was that, that wasn't correct uh, I still hear people say things today about uh, it, it'll take place within a century of mm -hmm. 1948 well I can't see any scriptural evidence for that whatsoever. So my understanding is that the establishment state of Israel is significant. It is, you know, it is very significant. But what it means in terms of timings and dates, I think we have to be cautious because already we've started to make the same kind of mistakes that people made in the 17th century and the 13th century and mm. the 12th century about different areas, we've started to name dates and times. Like those people in the 70s that said to me, it'll happen by 1988. Well, mm. they were getting dangerously close to giving a date and a time. 
and they were wrong. So again, we have to be cautious and careful. But it is a game changer in terms of mm. people's understanding of prophetic prophetic mm. words, I think, because of the establishment of a Jewish state in the Middle East. That is significant geopolitically. Mm. The, which is quite interesting because I think, as you said, many people believe that from the moment, you know, Israel was, you know, became a nation in 1940, that's where end times is beginning to, to yeah. basically they, they, they associated the, the timing from that, but it could be much, much way before as well. And we don't really know. Um, uh, this is very fascinating, uh, uh, Martin, about all this and just to really kind of open up our eyes to a lot of aspects of it. There's another aspect in your book. Uh, for this first podcast that I wanted to touch on is is the is the element of Christian emperors and end times. Yeah. You know, I've done um, quite a bit of study as well in terms of um, the Book of Revelation, especially when we're looking at the letters to the seven churches and speaking about the Church of Smyrna, when Jesus was mentioning that they would go through ten ten um you know ten time persecutions and and a lot of scholars and the people associating these to uh, ten successive emperors that would persecute the church, but here we are talking about Christian emperor and the end times yeah. and, and really one of the the name that comes to me you know um, is Constantine you know uh, I think yeah three hundred twenty twenty something as well when he actually literally. Uh, changed the whole uh, pictures and, and, and the whole aspect of Roman Empire as well when he actually broke Christianity into the Roman Empire after being persecuted for so many centuries. But mm. tell us a little bit more about those Christian emperor and the Antas. What, what is the relationship between between the two? Yeah, if you, if you read the book of Revelation, it's quite clear the Roman Empire is the enemy. It's quite clear that when John's writing about Babylon, he means Rome. Uh, mm -hmm. When he's talking about, you know, the great whore, I think he's talking about Rome. And, yeah. I, and I think most most commentators would believe would feel that that he is obviously saying that Christians are being persecuted by this appalling, this appalling Roman Empire. Now, that's not to say there aren't ultimate end time ways of reading that as well. But clearly, the Romans are the enemy. But of course, mm -hmm. things changed uh, in the fourth century when the Roman Empire converted to Christianity. And that mm -hmm. caused, really challenged a lot of Christians because the, the organization, the entity that up until that point had been the persecuting entity, the killer of Christians, uh, Babylon, you know, the whore of Babylon, uh, this, this, the, the beast for perhaps, um, of Revelation 13, uh, mm. suddenly became a Christian empire. And that, re uh, that really challenged Christians. And Christians <laughs> began to, to reevaluate things. So uh, the Roman Empire in the Eastern Mediterranean also survived when the empire collapsed in the West. Obviously, Britain was, a, was part of the Roman Empire till about AD 410. And it then collapsed in the 5th century uh, in the West of Europe. But in the Christian East, it continued. And in fact, there continued to be a Christian Roman Empire in the Middle East, sometimes called the um, Byzantine Empire, uh, based mm. on uh, Byzantium, uh, Constantinople, uh, right the way through until the 15th century. So for wow. so for centuries and centuries, you see, after the collapse of the Roman Empire in the West, and at that point. Christians in the East, in the Byzantine Empire, began to see the Byzantine Empire as the embodiment of Christ's reign on earth, which was in complete contrast wow. to the very negative mm. view of Roman rule that you find in the book of Revelations. Uh, mm. For example, in the Byzantine Empire, Rome became understood as representing the fourth kingdom of iron and clay in Daniel 2 and the fourth beast of Daniel 7. But they started looking at this through a positive lens because they said, well, actually, we think that what survived here in the east is the final kingdom that would endure almost until Christ's coming. 
Some of them even identified the Roman Empire in the East as the force that was restraining the appearance of Antichrist that's found mm. in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6-7. And they saw their empire which lasted, as I say, for, for almost a millennium after the collapse of the empire in the West as a force for good within God's providential plan, which would only mm. fall to Antichrist in the last days. It would then rapidly be followed by the final victory of Christ and the establishment mm. of his heavenly kingdom. And obviously that glossed over all the negative aspects of which there are many, which we find referring to the fourth kingdom or beast as represented in Daniel and the kind of ways which the Roman Empire is described in Revelation. Mm. And it goes to show how frequently Christians can be, how should I put it, very inventive in order to <laughs> apply prophecy to their own day and age. Mm. Uh, and that should be a little bit alarming some, some even began to adopt something called called imperial post-millennialism which said mm. effectively christ would return after, after. i stress mm. after a millennium of christian rule so mm. that's very different to today when most people who believe in the end times are what we call pre-millennialists mm. believing that christ will come and then establish a millennium so there really were some quite extraordinary ways of interpreting it and the, they, they, they thought that the greek-speaking empire which is in the east mediterranean represented the kingdom that will never be destroyed of daniel 244 now the usual way of viewing daniel 244 is is the messiah's kingdom the end time kingdom the, the eternal kingdom but they even began to describe the Byzantine empire as being the empire that will never be destroyed the kingdom will never be destroyed because ultimately that will that will turn into Christ's heavenly kingdom because what did they say they said the Roman empire is the new Israel so we're back to supersessionism again Constantinople mm. was a new Jerusalem and they even began to put forward an idea called the last Roman emperor which we don't actually find referred to in scripture but became mm. very popular which that they'd be they'd, they'd be in the future another Roman emperor he would subdue the enemies of Christianity he traveled to Jerusalem to lay down his imperial crown and rule and yield sovereignty to God and after that Christ would come and that was really very very influential for example the coronation of the Emperor Charlemagne in the year 800 mm, and, and some yes. other kings in Western Europe after that. It's mm. quite clear that a number of people at the time had end times thinking. Uh, and the importance of that was it relocated much of the end times expectation from the East, where it had been very much emphasized by the Byzantines, mm. to the West. And indeed, for the 9th century to the 21st century, this has influenced end time speculation. And mm. the, the modern proponents of the view that the European Union is in some way an embodiment of a revived Roman Empire are the, latest in, this, are the latest in this long line of ideas, mm. which actually stretches back to the Byzantine Empire and mm. then to the Holy Roman Empire in Western Europe. So it's, it's quite, quite extraordinary. Mm, yeah. It's quite interesting this. I mean, I didn't really want to touch much on Europe, but you, you no. point that very important point there. And that's a very, very key point. The fact that, you know, the whole, if you look at the whole history of Europe, indeed, as you mentioned, just really trace back to centuries. And as a matter of fact, you know, a lot of the doctrine uh, told by Charlemagne uh, in, in that sense, you know, steam through to Europe at the moment. And yes, we heard many times that Europe or the, you know, the Antichrist will come from the revived Roman Empire, you know, yeah. the, the, the kind of thing. And, and, and it's a quite interesting what you're saying. And, and it just puts so much perspective into your book because you got to look at history to understand yes. 
where we are today and where the, the, the belief system come from in, in that sense. Touching on um, another aspect of your book is the Vikings and as the yeah. agent of the Antichrist. Now, we touch a little bit on the Antichrist and, and, and so on through, through the different book of, of Daniel, Revelation and so on. But why are you mentioning that the Vikings could be the agent of the Antichrist? They could be seen as the agent of the Antichrist. Certainly, people at the time thought they were. People in the 8th, 9th and 10th centuries were, were looking around them at, at crisis and, and violence and invasions, and they read that as being the, the fulfilment of prophecy. Some Christians thought Islamic conquests were, were end-time events. Uh, but then in the 8th century, and that would, that would go on right into the Crusades, which we'll talk about uh, in another mm -hmm. episode, uh, but writers in Anglo-Saxon England, that, that's this country, you know, before the Norman Conquest, in the late 8th and then the 10th and early 11th century, were sure that Viking attacks were somehow fulfilments of biblical prophecy. Many contemporary Christians saw words like Jeremiah 1.14, I quote, Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of the land. And they said, Well, Vikings come from the north. That must be talking about the Vikings. Uh, one Anglo-Saxon, a man called Elfric, who died in 990, concluded, here are his words, People need good teaching most urgently in this time, which is the ending of the world. The beginning wow. of the charter, that's kind of like a, a, a list of the king giving land to the local people, the local church for Bradford, Naden and Wiltshire, quotes Luke 21.31 in Old English, in Latin actually at the beginning. And it warns, when you shall see these things come to pass, know the kingdom of God is at hand. So when that charter was written in 1001 with Viking attacks, people were convinced that the end was coming. And another Anglo-Saxon charter of 1002 quotes Matthew 4:17, where Jesus warns people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We find it elsewhere. End mm. times were on many people's minds and the worse the upheavals, the closer seemed to be the end. And in Europe, Viking attacks were read this way, but also Central Europe was being attacked by very powerful raiders called the Magyars and many read them as heralding the revealing of Antichrist as well. So for example in a, in, in a Lotharingian source that that's a document coming from what would now be Western Germany, Eastern France, Eastern Belgium and Luxembourg called the Letter to the Hungarians, the writer to their to, to the writer of that document specifically says the, the these Magyars, who are these Magyars? They are Gog and Magog, specifically referring to Ezekiel 38 2, mm -hmm. Revelation 28, in which Gog are the land of Magog in Ezekiel, and Gog and Magog in the latter are named as end times enemies of God and the elect. So we see people in, in Anglo-Saxon England saying that the Vikings are the end time enemies of God. We've got people in Europe saying the Magyars are the end time enemies of God, and they are reading scripture and applying it to their own particular time sincerely and incorrectly so square you know you touch on something quite interesting here obviously we spoke about the viking and the maga as well now if for example let's say um and i'm just really diverting a little bit you know let's say for example the the american indian you know for example wouldn't know by end times would you think that they would have considered people coming from the west as the antichrist in that sense because of of see people coming and inviting their places because it looks to me that every time there is a big kind of trauma evil taking place they are all referred to the antichrist so even today 
if something were to happen in a waste and somebody would come to take power ownership of this of this part of the the waste as well as i've i've heard many people mentioning that vladimir putin as yes. a matter of fact yep. is yep. the antichrist yep. as well because of what yep. he's doing at the moment so we've got to be very careful in in that sense yes. not to associate everyone but again jesus mentioned that there would be many antichrists as well and that could be that reference to having many people actually do evil that refer against the god's yes. will in that sense but Indeed. there is actually an antichrist that would come in a period of time as specifying in the book of daniel that will uh, set up um uh, during the great tribulation of seven years so there will be definitely one but at the moment what seems to be happening is that we seem to as you said this antichrist that daniel mentioned in that sense um, to whatever's happening around us, which is evil, is a form of antichrist in essence, and, and it's very, very interesting point. Um, touching on the next one, which is the last point for our podcast for this series yeah. um, that we're on, which you know, the year one thousand. I mean, yeah. I find millennium always got quite a significance in in our lives. I mean, I remember when it was mm. the year two thousand, for example. Yeah, me know, too. I mean. Yep. There was such a, a big thing about it, you know, computer, yes. we will just melt down and everything, yep. we will change. Yep. And eventually nothing happened at all, you know, we celebrated yep. and then, then we're 2000 <laughs> and, and you go on. But the year 2000 in, in this book is quite very significant. Why is it so significant in your book? Because I think of the millennium that's mentioned in Revelation. I think Christians clearly picked up on this concept of millennium of thousand years mm. and they wanted to apply it to their own days now obviously we've talked about some people saying well it's a thousand years and then jesus will return so mm -hmm. they then look back and said well actually the year 1000 they said that's a thousand years after the birth of jesus so therefore these people who were post-millennialists they said the year 1000 that's when he will return because look that's a thousand years after he was born so that mm. really focused the minds now what they didn't know was what they didn't know at the time was was the people had put who had put together the bc ad dating system which of course is not in the bible the bible doesn't use ad bc dating systems bc before christ ad anno domini in in the year of our lord so we mm. currently are in the year ad you know 2022 in the year of our lord after jesus birth of 2022 what they didn't realize is what we know is that when the people put those plans together those calculations together after the end of the Roman empire they got the maths wrong they got the maths mm. wrong so for example we know that jesus was probably born around what we would call bc7 mm -hmm. okay um because king herod was still king when jesus was born and herod died in what we would now call 7 BC. So clearly the maths are wrong, but they didn't know that. And so they looked at the year 1000 and said, this is really, really significant because they assumed it was the end of the millennium and the devil would now be released. I mean, you'd have thought the things that have been going on over the last few centuries would have made them think that, well, perhaps the devil hasn't been chained up because look at the terrible mm. things that are happening. But no, some people, for example, uh, Wollstone, Archbishop of York in Anglo-Saxon England, thought the year 1000 might be a time when the devil will be released 
after 1,000 years, not before, but after 1,000 years, of course, and then that's when Christ will return. So they looked at the year 1,000 and thought that was significant because it was the end of the millennium. Now, that, interesting that, enough... That was, yeah, that, was based on the that was based on the assumption that they believed that Christ returned after the 1,000 years, isn't it? Yes, that's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Be and that just reminds us, people, people in the past have often done their sums very differently to how we do it today. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, when, when nothing happened, well, certainly the return of Christ didn't happen in AD 1000, many of them then did what Christians have done before and since. They recalibrated and they recalculated and they said, oh, it's not a thousand years after his birth in AD naught. And of course, I've just said he wasn't born in AD. But anyway, anyway, they thought it was. They said it's a thousand years after his death, resurrection and ascension. So they then began to look to the year 1033. Mm. Again, 1033. And there's a lot of excitement around the year 1033 as well, because Christians had recalibrated and recalculated based upon what we now know was an erroneous understanding of what that thousand years means, because it mm. clearly did not mean 1000 years after the birth of Jesus, because Jesus didn't return. So there you this, go. This is wonderful. Martin, I could just go on for have it with you there's so much so much information there and so much knowledge in, in this book it is fantastic here yeah? and and for our listeners i would just really encourage them to go and, and get this book and read it especially if you're into end times and understanding the history going through um we're going to stop for this first episode uh, martin but it's been brilliant we looked from the ascension of jesus to the start of the crusade we looked we talked about the new testament belief in the second coming we touched on the church and Jew does the church replace the Jews which has been such a big topic of a, of, of a time mm. in that sense we also touch about the, the, the different Christian emperor and, and times and, and what happened when Constantine decided that you know what Christianity is going to be now that the religion the Roman Empire which has got to change everything in people mindset and have to kind of I love the word that you just calibrate I would say recalibrate everything as well to, to really suit the purposes and then we spoke about the Vikings and also the, the, the margins as well from the other part as well where actually we're seen as Asian of the Antichrist and, but I think the year 1000 as well is be very 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 important so we're going to stop now and guys please do listen to this and we will pick it up with our next episode where we will look from the crusade to the 18th century this is Jean-Marc from Revelation Hour in focus a brand new podcast series see you later Bye.